Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we'll be covering one brief rumor that the Jets have been linked to. Actually, there are two of them that the Jets have been linked to that are about uh, defensemen trade targets for this trade deadline. I'll address both of them and talk about why neither of them is actually all that likely. And then we're going to take a brief look at how the East and Western conferences are shaping up heading into the playoff stretch, because... This year's playoff race, generally speaking, is a lot more open than it's been in previous seasons. It kind of reminds me a little bit of last year, where I don't know that there's a clear front runner if one of the top teams gets knocked out in the first round like it happened with the Blue Jackets and Tampa Bay Lightning last season. So it'll be interesting to see how things shape up, but for now we do have some at least emerging narratives, especially in the Western Conference, where there's a lot of jockeying and movement for the wildcard spots. First things first, though. As promised, I'm going to address some of the Jets' news and rumors, and that includes Alec Martinez and Rasmus Ristolainen. So, I believe Alec Martinez was suggested by somebody on Twitter, uh, I forget which network it was, it was a reporter who said that apparently the Jets were interested in Martinez. Um, and the prize would likely be a second-round pick and some kind of a prospect. Martinez is a 32-year-old left-handed defenseman who at one point was part of L.A.'s real defensive core with offensive upside and, and pretty good offensive instincts, uh, a decent shot, smart passing distribution, and okay defensive impact. I wouldn't say particularly good. Martinez is definitely on the side of being a, a more one-dimensional kind of defenseman, which is fine. You can He can quarterback your power play and be a decent offensive defenseman at even strength, but beyond that, his total impact on the ice has not exactly been sterling, and he's in the last two seasons of uh, a $4 million deal just about. That's $4 million per year, roughly speaking. Martinez at this stage in his career is not a particularly effective blue liner, and he really doesn't bring a whole lot of offense or defensive value. Uh, He's got like 10 points on the season, and he really doesn't generate a whole lot of individual um, scoring opportunities on his own. Now, you probably wouldn't expect that from a defenseman, period, but Martinez traditionally has been thought of at least a scoring blue liner, which in recent times he just hasn't been. He may have like another year on his contract, but I feel like for the Jets, that's just not going to be all that intriguing. If he's not doing well on a Kings team that actually plays pretty decent hockey, and while maybe not defensively resolute, is still decent enough to pass muster as a team that's better than the Jets, then I really can't see the appeal of bringing in a guy like Alec. He's experienced, he's veteran, and he has some minor term control, but beyond that, he's, you know, well past the age of being a top four defenseman, and he really doesn't make sense for the Jets, especially given the fact that, at most, he'd basically be a warm body for a season. If the price was like a fourth round pick or something, I can live with that a little more, but even then, I'm, you know, I, I don't think LA's gonna let him go for that cheap, And honestly, it just isn't that appealing. You might as well go after Dylan DeMello out of Ottawa and see if you can convince him to sign a longer-term deal with the Jets after his contract expires. There's just not a whole lot that I think Martinez would bring to this team at this stage in his career, and there are plenty of other teams who would probably overpay because, you know, he's got the, the Stanley Cup pedigree, he at one point was a lot more effective than he is now, and people will kind of look back at his previous history, at least on the score sheet, and think, yep, this guy's a top four defender, let's bring him in. 
He's probably more like a 5 or 60 at this point, and that's a little bit generous, but he might still be able to do some stuff for a, a team's power play unit. The other guy the Jets have been linked to is, of course, Rasmus Ristolainen, and Darren Dreger reported today that the only reason Chevy would pull that deal, you know, pull the trigger on that deal is if uh, it was a, a deal involving Nikolai Ehlers. And I can tell you right now, that's pretty much bullcrap. I don't think that that's the case at all. I think pretty much everyone within the Jets organization recognizes that Nikolai Ehlers is one of the most important linchpins of this team. I just, I can't really imagine there being a reason why the Jets would ever trade Ehlers for a guy like Ristolainen, who, frankly, Ristolainen is, is barely passable as a second-pairing defenseman. He scores a lot of points, but they're basically empty calorie points. His defensive impact is very poor. He really doesn't use his body effectively to shut down um, either passing lanes or shooting lanes. And at this point in his career, he is what he is. He's really not likely to improve all that much. I'm not interested in the Jets taking on another Pionk case because Pionk was noticeably cheaper. He's on a much shorter deal. And frankly, Pionk also had a lot more potential uh, uh, just because he really hasn't had a whole lot of NHL time. So he's more of an unknown. When I say potential, I don't mean like he's going to be a top pairing guy. I just mean he was very raw. He showed a lot of natural instincts, but at that point they were unformed. Ristolainen is probably not going to change his game style or his on-ice impact, generally speaking. He might improve if he came to Winnipeg, but I, I don't think that's going to be the case. And uh, I'm not really interested in giving up our most important skater for a guy who, at this stage in his career, is like a fringe second-pairing defenseman um, with a big shot and a big body. If I wanted more Tyler Myers, I would have just said extend Tyler Myers. But obviously that didn't happen, and for good reason, because... Myers at this stage of his career is also not particularly effective, and he's not been good in Vancouver. So why would we trade our most important uh, transition point of our offense, our most important attacking forward, one of our most skilled young forwards, and somebody on an extremely good value deal for it? Uh, you know, I can't even call him a top four defenseman. I would say maybe like a, th a, a top high-end third-pairing guy, um, fringe second-pairing for... Our best asset? I mean, there's just no reason for the Jets to do that. And then the only reason I could see this is because Buffalo is probably trying to drive Ristolainen's pr price up. That's if they're interested in trading him, which I don't know that they are. Chevy may have claimed some guys off the waiver wire that I'm not exactly thrilled about, and our pro scouts sometimes identify defensemen who I don't think are all that effective, but I would be hard-pressed to believe a report that says the Jets would trade Ehlers for Ristolainen. If it happens, I'm happy to eat my words and take back my criticism, but I'm pretty sure it's mostly baseless. Anytime the Jets get linked to somebody in the media, um, it's kind of not really been the case. I mean, I think Broussard was probably the closest thing, and that was basically when the Jets were in talks and got Broussard taken out from underneath them. So everyone already knew at that point. But then they pulled a coup with Stastny, who was a complete surprise acquisition. I don't remember Hayes really being one that was heavily talked about either. I think, generally speaking, the Jets keep things pretty quiet and keep things close to the vest until the deal is ready to be announced within a couple of hours or a day or so. The Jets are, well, they like to control information, so I can't imagine that if you if you think about it, Ristolainen or Alec Martinez make any sense for this team. More than likely, the Jets would look for somebody like DeMello, who will be cheaper, offer better value, and offer better on-ice performance for what the Jets need. Starting with the Eastern Conference, we have a pretty tight race for a couple of different divisions. The Metropolitan and Atlantic are both on the closer side, although uh, the closest is definitely the Metro Division. Now, I say close being relative, but to be honest, Washington is, is most certainly the front runner in this division. The Caps really don't have all that many weaknesses, 
They have a potent power play. They've got uh, a pretty good, I would say a pretty good even strength offense. Uh, where they do have some issues is on their PK and goaltending. Now, goaltending, they do have a really good backup goalie in Ilya Samsonov, who will eventually take over the starting role from Holtby. But if Holtby doesn't really recover in time for the playoffs, that might be an issue. The Caps probably will rely on Ilya more often than not, but I don't know if they would trust him in the postseason because Holtby in the playoffs has historically had a pretty good run. Their PK is a problem just because they take so many penalties, and that tends to really ring out your special teams a lot, and I think Washington has probably pushed their luck as far as that's concerned. They need to be a lot more disciplined and, and careful going forward because they honestly can't afford to take any penalties with, with how poor as Holtby has been over the past couple of months. Behind Washington sit Pittsburgh and Columbus, and both of those teams are pretty close in the standings, although Columbus has played more games and sits a couple of points behind the Penguins. Pittsburgh is one of the best teams in the NHL that's also happened to be ravaged by injuries. They have had so many injuries to key players like Gensel, Crosby, uh, you name it, somebody has missed time. They might now be down one of their best defensemen in John Marino. I saw something that he might have broken his jaw last night, which would be horribly unfortunate because Marino has been one of their, one of their most stout defensemen and a really key contributor at even strength and on, the, I think, probably the penalty kill he's been involved in. He's just been a revelation for this team, and they really, really need him now. I think that uh, Matt Murray has also seen a bit of a decent turn in form over the past couple of weeks, although he still has a penchant for uh, surrendering a few too many goals here and there. I would say that he's like a league average goalie, but with the Pittsburgh offense playing as well as it does and the defense being surprisingly good, I think the Pens are probably not too worried. They can really make some noise in the playoffs. Columbus is a harder cipher for me to piece together because I feel like the Blue Jackets are not as good as their record's been over the past several weeks, and I feel like Elvis Merzlikens is getting a lot of shutouts, but I don't know how sustainable that performance is. When I saw him a couple of weeks ago against the Jets, I felt like he actually wasn't as technically refined as he could be, but he's been more than enough to get the Blue Jackets in, and they seem to be playing pretty good hockey. Merzlikens just had another shutout tonight, although he really only did face 16 shots, so, you know. I wouldn't read too much into that particular performance, but on the whole, he's been good for this team, and the Blue Jackets sit in third in the Metro, which is no easy feat. The uh, Atlantic Division is is between Boston, Tampa Bay, and Toronto, and it's really just a one-horse race, unless Tampa Bay has a big turn of form over the next two weeks. Tampa Bay is really, really, really good, but the Bruins just keep seeming to find ways to win with really strong goaltending. Um, or just really good depth scoring across all their lines and depth contributions. Like The Bruins are a deep team, and I don't know how they keep being consistently good all around. I really don't know that they have any central weaknesses other than occasional inconsistency. They're like a fantastic, well-rounded team, though, and there's a reason that they're staying, sitting on top of the Atlantic Division with a pretty decent margin. Tampa Bay can definitely catch them, but either way, those two teams are definitely frontrunners for the Cup. Toronto is more like really exciting Winnipeg in the sense that defensively they have a lot of lapses and their forwards just kind of go and get cut loose. So I think that they could upset somebody in the wildcard round, but I don't know how, how much I read into, you know, Stanley Cup aspirations. They definitely could go on a run if their goaltending improves, but Anderson's out and they're relying on, I guess, Michael Hutchinson and Jack Campbell for the time being, and neither of those guys is is all that reliable, so... Uh, it's a bit of a tough situation. The wild card spots are 
by and large being held by the Islanders and the Hurricanes. Philadelphia and Florida are right there knocking on the door, but I think neither of those teams will probably unseat the Canes or Islanders for those final two spots. I think Carolina has the potential to be one of the best teams in the NHL. Goaltending is a bit of a question mark for them, but I think we've seen like Andrei Zvechnikov, uh, Sebastian Ajo, quite a few guys play pivotal roles for that team and create a ton of offense that I think it'd be hard for other teams to really match that and eventually exceed them for that final spot. The Islanders are a good team. I would not put them in the same category as the Canes. It's not that they're particularly worse. I just don't think that they have quite as much offensive creativity and depth, but they have a really strong goaltending duo, and I think that overall they're a very good team. So they could easily cause issues for somebody, especially from the Metro Division, for in a first-round exit. I feel like they're better than the Blue Jackets, but I don't know by how much. The Panthers are kind of there. You know, they're certainly getting within striking distance of that final wild card spot. They're one point behind. But I feel like Florida, I'm not sure how trustworthy that team is. Like, they've they've won quite a few games in recent memory. But, um, yeah, I just don't know how sustainable their success in recent times is. I don't know if they're, like, a team that's for real or if they're going to fade out over the next few weeks. They have a pretty pivotal part of their schedule coming up, so we'll have to see if they're going to stay competitive or not. If they do, they could create some havoc with some uh, underrated talents in Trocek and Barkov, but beyond that, I mean, I really like Dodonov, and I think uh, goaltending might be an issue if if either Bobrovsky or their backups start to falter, so I don't know. Ekblad being resurgent is a big deal for them, but again, I'm just not sure how much confidence I have in that squad on the whole. The East is going to be a bit of a tighter race just because of how much quality there is at the top, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to basically be between Washington and Boston uh, and Tampa Bay as your lead frontrunners for somebody emerging with the cup. Um, Pittsburgh has an outside shot if everything breaks right, but I think I think the Caps, Bruins, and, and Lightning are my favorite picks, uh, with Carolina being a potential dark horse. Pittsburgh could do something if they make some moves and acquire some depth, but I would not bank on them 100% just because right now they're struggling with some injuries up front. That they have such a good record is great, but Marino going down for any length of time could really hurt them. What won't hurt you are the advertising opportunities available with the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm sure you've heard by now all of the great advertisers currently working with the Locked On Podcast Network to reach sports fans around the world. What you may not know is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Winnipeg Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives you, your local company, the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners in your area on a routine basis. These aren't just any podcast listeners, they're dedicated Locked On listeners. If your company wants to connect to local Winnipeg Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then please feel free to drop us a line. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and send us a message. Our team will work step-by-step with you to help achieve the highest level of Locked On advertising success. Once again, be sure to text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Closing out our show is a look at the Western Conference, which is absolutely my least favorite conference in the NHL right now because, quite frankly, it sucks a lot. So, let's start with the Central Division, Winnipeg's favorite division, because we have plenty of rivals to deal with, and honestly, all of them are better than the Jets. Uh, So, at the top of it is the St. Louis Blues, and the Blues are 
fairly good. I think, and I, I kind of get into arguments with people sometimes on this, i just not sure how much I believe in that team. I think that they have a really well-balanced, well-rounded approach to things with a lot of really strong defensive structure. But I do think at some point they might hit a wall if, they're, if their depth scoring doesn't really kick in and they aren't able to create a whole lot of slot offense. I think what happened with the Jets when they were able to contain the Blues for certain portions of the game, you saw um, the Blues really didn't, didn't handle an aggressive forecheck that was speedy and high pressure very well. The Blues kind of caved in a little bit and they weren't really able to shield Bennington from a lot of high-danger chances. The team directly behind them in the standings, the Colorado Avalanche, I feel like would be a nightmare matchup in styles for them, because the Avs play a lot of offense, they play a high-tempo, high-pressure, aggressive forecheck, lots of pre-shot movement, tons of end-to-end -end rushes. I think these are the kinds of things that the Blues, if they countered properly, could take advantage of, but I also feel like their structure would get victimized. Colorado just continues to put up video game numbers this season. They're rocking like a plus 41 goal differential, and they've scored almost 200 goals, which is, I believe, second best or third best in the league. No, fourth best. Fourth best overall. But it's not like the teams ahead of them have all that many more goals. Uh, I mean, 192 at this stage of the year is pretty nuts. So the Avs are a nightmare team. They have three games in hand on the Blues. And I feel like even though the, there are six points behind in the standings, they can easily cover that ground pretty quickly. The Stars are third in the Central, but I feel like they're a competent team. Pretty decent all around, just like your average, typical good NHL team. I think that they have some underrated talent in guys like Heiskanen, um, Rope Hintz. Uh, you know, obviously I have a preference for the Finns. But, you know, they still got Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn. I guess they have uh, Corey Perry, who's kind of sucky. But Denis Skirianov has been good, so there's a lot of talent for them to work with. I just don't know how it would all come together in a seven-game playoff series. They might be able to sneak through a round, but beyond that, hard to say. They certainly have more of a shot, though, than most of the Pacific Division, which is currently led by Vancouver, Vegas, and Edmonton. Out of those three teams, I think Vegas is the only real legitimate threat, and the Knights really can't get all that many saves to, to really bail them out. So I feel like even though Vegas has a great offense and a pretty solid defense. The fact that Fleury and Subban haven't been particularly great in net is going to be a real st sticking point for them. I also think Gallant gave them a slight tactical edge against most of their opponents, and now that they have Pete DeBoer, I'm not really sure that they have that anymore. I'm more in favor of the way Ga Gallant kind of approached his team, which was to take a really scrappy, underrated, perhaps mixed talent squad and play to their strengths rather than forcing a specific system that he felt was more appropriate than what they could offer. And I feel like that is kind of underappreciated and under underrated, and part of why the Knights were so successful in previous, uh, previous runs. The Oilers are the Oilers. I think you and I both know that they're not all that great, and they don't have all that much depth. So, yeah, we're not going to talk too much about that. Who is more interesting to me are the Arizona Coyotes. Um, they're kind of like a, I guess... You might say that they are the Dallas of, of the Pacific. I think that they're not that great of a team. I think that, I, I say not great, but I mean, I just mean they're more average than anything. I don't think that they're particularly exceptional. But if they get enough saves and if Taylor Hall ever starts to wake up because he's not been that good for them, if he wakes up and Kessel starts going on a scoring run, I think that they have enough underrated talent in guys like Connor Garland and Christian Dvorak to make some noise. Again, though, I'm not sure I'm a big believer in that squad, and I just don't think that they have enough high-end talent that's performing at an elite level to really be something of a threat. The same thing goes for Calgary, although the Flames are just worse in about every respect. 
Their goaltending is not good. Their defense is struggling. Their offense isn't as good as it used to be. That team is somehow in the second wildcard spot, but they're not going to hold on to it for long. If Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota push them out, um, the Flames are, are they, well, they could spiral out of control. I, I just don't know where Calgary's direction's really headed, and uh, they might be sellers sooner than later. Out of the, the pack of Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota, I could see the Preds being the ones that end up making the playoffs, but if the Jets really have a great six-game uh, stand here against weaker competition, the whole outlook might change because it's not like the Preds have been particularly outstanding themselves. So the Jets have a big opportunity to make some noise and maybe haul themselves back into the playoff conversation. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great night, and go Jets go.